Reading now from Luke 10, 30 to 37. And just before verse 30, a lawyer and Jesus are discussing the law in the Hebrew scriptures that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer follows up with the question, And who is my neighbor? So here begins today's reading. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Mel, will you join me? Mel Lehman is founder and director of Common Humanity, a nonprofit organization based in New York City that seeks to build understanding, respect, and friendship with the Arab and Muslim world. Mel grew up in Leola, Pennsylvania, and is a graduate of Lancaster Mennonite School and Eastern Mennonite University. He has worked in the realm of international humanitarian issues for several decades, including two decades at the National Council of Churches. Mel has traveled extensively in the Middle East and has published a number of articles reflecting on his experiences. We look forward to hearing from you today, Mel, and blessings as you share. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. It is indeed good to be here. I feel like I'm coming home, and indeed I believe I am coming home. My grandparents, George and Leah, were members here in the 1920s and 30s. And I discovered a very happy coincidence, a providential coincidence, that the spot where our art gallery is exhibited is where my father Lester's cousins, Titus, <laughs> Titus and Grace lived. Uh, and he was apparently a bit of a rabble rouser for peace, uh, I understand. So that felt good, and at the moment, uh, they are not here this morning, but uh, Ryan and Sarah Schrock and their children, Leah and Noah, are members here, and they are sunning themselves at the Jersey Shore, as they say. So I feel like I'm really coming home, and thank you for your kind welcome. Um, I'd like to invite us to reflect this morning on the endless war, the forever war, as some people are calling it. Uh, we were thinking perhaps that the war in Afghanistan would end soon. We've been talking about that. 
what is it now, 14 years, 16 years? We're, we're now the longest-running war in Afghanistan, but it looks like that just got a new lease on life. Uh, the uh, war in Iraq just keeps going on and on. Uh, the violence in Palestine keeps going on and on, and Syria it seems to be why, just diminishing a bit, but certainly not over. So how, this is an untenable situation. We have the largest refugee uh, population since World War II. Uh, we have young men and women in this country who are dying. Uh, we are now hearing of moral injury. This is something we have not heard much about before. Somehow... Uh, our society thought, well, you go off to war and kill people, and uh, that's that. But it turns out, no, it's not that simple. That the young men and women we send to these far-off places to shoot people uh, have a moral injury. There's something inside you said, you know, that woman running across the street wearing a burqa, that man fleeing into the house that I shot, were they really the enemy? Maybe I killed somebody inadvertently, or you showed a soldier and you thought, is that really the right thing to do? Plus, of course, we have many, many casualties overseas. So we really have to work to find a way to end this forever war. So I would offer this morning some spiritual resources uh, to help us um, think about how we can work towards ending this forever war as Mennonite Christian pacifists. Uh, the Bible and our Christian tradition gives us great resources. The first I would point us to is to fish on the other side. This scripture reading I had this morning, uh, you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of the writer of the Gospel of John. He's, he or she, he or she is coming to the end of this great testament, and they're thinking, how am I going to wrap this thing up? And they say, you know, I think I have a great fishing story I'm going to tell you well, it turns out it's more than just a great fishing story. It turns out it's a story about fishing on the other side of the boat, looking for new opportunities. The Bible is not just a book about going back and hearing all the old truths over again. Yes, of course, we hear the old truths over again, but we hear new things. The, um, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a, like a house owner who brings old and new things out of his cupboard. Uh, the prophet Isaiah called us to, behold, I'm doing a new thing. So I think the first thing we need to be aware of uh, as a spiritual resource is to be able to think new thoughts. I think we've got ourselves as an American society, as a Western society, into such a routine pessimism and uh, defeatism that we're beginning to think this is just going to go on forever. So we have to look at new ways of thinking. And I'd like to share a couple stories this morning about my own experience. Um, I worked for uh, several dec two decades at Church World Service of the National Council of Churches in New York. And we began to hear about Iraq. And 20 years ago, everybody was talking about Saddam Hussein. Remember him? What a bad guy he was. And indeed, he was a bad guy. I don't dispute that in the least. I heard stories that are just heartbreaking. Uh, but that's all we talked about. We forgot about the people. And my work in humanitarian work for Church World Service began to take me to the people there, to the sanctions. And I began to learn about the economic sanctions. Some of you perhaps remember those days. A draconian gates coming down around the country and no food coming, very minimal food coming in. And people were 
starving. They didn't have enough medicine. So I began to fish on that side of the boat. That was my experience, to stop thinking only of governments and Saddam Hussein, but start thinking about the people. Another great resource we have is one of my favorite Bible stories as a child. Maybe this was one of your favorites too. Elijah and the still small voice. Uh, I think we need to tune in to the still small voice. Remember the prophet? He thought he was abandoned. He went out in the wilderness. He listened to the thunder and the lightning and the earthquakes. And he finally realized that wasn't really where the voice of God was. It was in the still small voice. And we often think of the still small voice inside us, rightly so, but I also heard still small voices in the children of Iraq. My work took me as one of really only a few thousand Americans inside Iraq during the days of Saddam Hussein. And I never will forget the children's voices that I heard there. We as a Western society, what were we thinking? (laughs) We weren't thinking. We were getting ready to invade that country. We were softening them up with these terrible economic sanctions, and the children suffered, and the weak and the elderly. And uh, one of the very first things as a, as a humanitarian worker, I will never forget, one of the very first things they took me to see, which we didn't see on television, um, they took me in to see a child who had been burnt. Uh, a lamp had fallen, a kerosene lamp had fallen. It's just horrible. And there was not medicine to, to, to heal him, not medicine to assuage his pain. So there I am, and it is our government, our Western society, which had imposed these terrible sanctions upon him. So I think we need to stop listening just to the loud voices. We need to listen to the still small voice inside us and around us, the people, the quiet people that are not in the news. Another great resource we have is the great teaching to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We are in danger, or we may even on some level have succumbed in this country, to all being turned into military analysts. You might not think of yourself as a military analyst, and indeed you aren't, but the danger we face by listening to the news media all the time and getting our main source of news from the evening news is we're hearing again and again from these think tanks in Washington and these military experts who are figuring out what kind of military tactics uh, we can do to solve this problem, to solve that problem, to win this war. So we're, 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 we're becoming conformed to the world, and we're in danger of becoming military analysts. What we need to do is think again with the people and to think, how would you feel If you were bombed, give that some thought. I have one of the unique experiences in quite a few people, maybe one of the uh, unique uh, several thousand of us, uh, not many of us, who have directly experienced bombing on both sides of this terrible forever war. uh, My journey since uh, standing out in front of this church uh, a few years back as a teenager at Lancaster Mennonite School on the Saturday night youth meetings. Uh, In the several few years since then, I have found my way to New York City. And I was in New York City uh, on September 11, when the World Trade Centers were bombed. And I'll tell you, that is no fun. That was a scary, scary moment. We were all very afraid. 
I lived just six miles up the street from the World Trade Centers in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and it was terrifying. And uh, you all heard those stories. I won't uh, uh, take our time with too many more of those stories. But I was bombed on this side of that war, uh, and I still remember the smell. The smell carried all the way up to Greenwich Village, uh, not quite to where I live, but it was just terrible. And nobody should be bombed. Well, I have the somewhat unique experience, I think unique experience, of being bombed on both sides of this terrible forever war. Uh, my concern about the people of Iraq, my work with Churchill Service, took me into Iraq uh, for six trips or so. I was so taken by this terrible situation, I eventually quit my job at Churchill Service and said, I'm going to see what I can do. And I ended up going to Iraq. Um, uh, my third trip, I had quit my job, and um, I was staying at a hotel uh, along the Tigris River for like $5 a night. It was amazing, the, the inflation and the currencies, what have you. Uh, and I was getting set up uh, the first week of December, uh, 1998, and um, I didn't have my antenna quite out yet. I didn't have my support system. This was just before the Internet, and I somehow missed the news that the United States was going to bomb. So I was there during Desert Fox, which I, I hear later it is called, uh, for four nights in the first week of December. Uh, I was bombed by Americans, and... Um, um, uh, I was up on the fifth floor of the Al-Fanar Hotel with wonderful view, tourist hotel. No tourists, a couple of dopey people like me, but uh, not too many tourists. And uh, I began to hear the plop, plop, plop in the distance, and uh, the noise got louder and louder and louder, crashing and crashing. And um, I said, this can't be true. I can't, I'm a nice guy. Who would want to bomb me? I'm here doing some good work. Well, somehow the word didn't get through to Washington that it was a couple of Americans left, what have you. Long story short, uh, I was endured four nights of bombing. And, um, and uh, the phone rings in my hotel room. Mr. Mel, Mr. Mel, come down to the bomb shelter. Um, if you're ever in bombing, the thing you want to do is get away from windows. You want to be away from the glass because the glass can kill you. So you want to go in the basement if you're ever happened to be in bombing. So we ran down to the basement and survived. Um, which brings me to my next point of spiritual resources. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy Muslim neighbor. If Jesus were giving the parable of the Good Samaritan today, I think that's what he would say. Um, the Samaritans, we recall, we have such nice feelings about Samaritans, and rightly so, but at the time... They were the outcasts. They were the heretics. And I think if Jesus were giving that message today, he would say, thou shalt not be giving false witness against thy Muslim neighbor. I received my first contempt mail, uh, and I consider that a, a sad marker in my career. Uh, we at Common Humanity occasionally send out some letters to new people to see if we can get a few more people to our mailing list. And I got a name from a very good best of sources and uh, sent out a fundraising letter. And uh, the letter, which said some good things about the Muslims, as we do, 
And uh, the letter comes back, and I saw, recognized the name that we'd sent it to, and I opened it up thinking perhaps a check would fall out. No check fell out. Instead, a contempt letter. The letter basically said to me, having read my fundraising letter, either you're an idiot or you are lying. And I still remember the sting. This person was so convinced that the Muslims of the world were out to hurt us. There's so much of this thinking, apparently, in our country. Uh, and I still have that little bit of a sting as someone was so sure of this, but they're wrong. The Muslim people of the world are not out to hurt us. There are many good Muslim people. And if we go back to that moment, if we go back to that moment of me being bombed in Baghdad, it was the Muslims who were helping me and the Christians up in the sky who were endangering my life. The people flying the planes were, I don't know, baptized this, baptized that. They were probably some kind of Christians. So the people who protected me, they could have very easily killed me. I think I counted something like, there were something like 18 Americans in the country at the time. They could have very easily hurt me. The Muslim people did not. They could have said, you're from the country that's hurting us. We're going to hurt you. No, they didn't do that. I think we need to bear true witness and tell the truth that there are many, the vast, vast majority of Muslim people are good, decent people. Another resource we have, spiritual resource, in our battle against the forever war is the teaching confession is good for the soul. Confession is good for the soul. And this is not a political sermon, but I think we can at least look to history in a Sunday morning sermon. And we have to look to history. We have to realize the, the Bible is a historical book. Our faith is a historical book. We have to look at history since the Crusades, since the era of colonialism, since the overthrow of the ruler of uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, rightly elected uh, ruler of I Iran in the 1950s, the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, the overthrow of Gaddafi. We have been part of the problem. We, the West, the West meaning the United States and Europe, the Christian quote-unquote world. And I think we have to acknowledge that. We're not the whole problem. There's a lot of blame to go around. Uh, the more I read, the more I realize that, the more I travel and study. But I think one thing in a conflict you have to do is we have to admit our part of this mess. And we in the mess have been meddling and pushing people around and insulting people in the Middle East. And it almost fits on a bumper sticker. The Arab and Muslim point of view is which part of get out don't you understand? And we don't quite see that in our news media. In our news media, we are told again and again of these wonderful things we're doing over there. Well, it's really not that way. We need to rethink, look on the other side of the boat. I'd like to conclude this morning with a story uh, about trusting. Trusting is very hard to do for some of us, maybe for you, but we need to hold on to the trust that we can. And in this terrifying world we live in, at times terrifying world, I think we need to hold on to the trust that we can. I'd like to conclude with a story about uh, trusting, and in this case, trusting our Middle East Christian brothers and sisters. I think when we get to heaven and the celestial seasonings tea is passed out, 
that the room assignments are made and we all get settled, the Lord is going to say pretty early on his or her list, why didn't you listen to the Arab Christians? Why didn't you listen to these people? And that's what I think we need to do is trust and listen to our Arab brothers and sisters. Uh, On the third night of bombing, um, um, I went on for four nights. And the third night, you sort of got used to the routine. Uh, I remember, I always remember um, lying in a fetal, the the, the bombing takes place at night. Um, So the daytime is okay, you get your errands done, and then at night you settle in and it starts to uh, bomb. And I always remember I was uh, lying in a fetal position in the inner hallway of the hotel where I was staying. And I was remember just t- being terrified. I'm a man of prayer. I became a man of very intense prayer during those times. And I remember looking up and, you know, the suspension ceilings where you have those metal links and then the, the sort of foam or whatever. I remember that shadow, the whole building shadows. I remember the dust coming down. The whole building shook so much. So the third night approaches, and what do you do? You, as a Mennonite Christian, you go to church. It starts to bomb. That's a good thing to do. So I went up the street with a taxi to the local Chaldean church and uh, for the evening service. And um, because of the situation, uh, the service was starting a little earlier. So the service begins at a church a little bit bigger than this, but not altogether unlike this. I got there at the beginning around 4.30, a couple hours early. Not too many people. Uh, and you're starting to look outside. It's starting to get dark. And you're starting to think, hmm, how much longer till the darkness falls and the bombs drop? And I remember praying. I was praying to God for some kind of strength. I said, Lord, I'm lying here in a fetal position with dust and buildings quivering around me. I need some extra strength. So I kept praying for that strength, and I just didn't feel I was getting it. People began arriving at the church, uh, and in that part of the world, the Christians, the Christians then were about uh, 10% of the population, was it? And they would wear bandanas, uh, not unlike the Muslim ladies, but they were different hairstyles, but they would come to church with a bandana. And I remember looking at the, the, the Chaldean Christian ladies coming in, and I said, there's Aunt Edna. <laughs> There's Aunt Ruth, you know, there's Aunt Jane. Uh, and that felt good, but I still didn't have that inner strength that I felt I needed from the Lord, and I kept praying. And then we went to the Eucharist, to the communion, uh, as we will have here in a few minutes. And in that world, uh, there are three towns in Syria that, as I understand it, I've been told this a number of times, still speak Aramaic which is the language that Jesus spoke. Uh, Aramaic, the Semitic languages, uh, Aramaic sort of being to modern-day Arabic what Latin is to modern-day Italian, something like that. And uh, so we moved into the communion service. The crowd gathers. The darkness is falling. No bombs yet. And they're moving into... um, uh, the communion service, and speaking in Arabic is exactly what our Lord would have been speaking. Still no word from the Lord. Lord, give me something. I need something extra tonight. So um, the uh, service ends, um, and I remembered that I had with me about a dozen Christmas cards. And um, 
these were Christmas cards. This was December, and I had brought with me just a few I was able to gather from Manhattan Mennonite Fellowship. Thank you as fellow members of Atlantic Conference. I'm a deacon and um, a founding member of Manhattan Mennonite. Please visit us if you come to New York City. Uh, we're in the same conference. Um, so I brought a couple of Christmas cards, and I held these dozen or so Christmas cards to share with a couple different churches. And... Um, I thought, is this ridiculous? Uh, here I am, my country is about to bomb in a few more minutes. Is this really a good time to give Christmas cards to a Chaldean Christian church? Is that sort of dopey? And then I said to myself, well, you know, if the gospel is anything, what better time could there be to do this? So I walked up to the priest, and I said, you know, I'm, an, I'm from New York, and I have some Christmas cards for you. And, of course, they all speak English. You know the old joke. Uh, the old joke is, what do you call someone who speaks two languages, bilingual? What do you call someone who speaks three languages, trilingual? What do you call one who, someone who speaks one language, American? Uh, so many, many people in the Middle East speak English of the educated class. So he, he and I had a good friend conversation. He said, oh, come over. Thank you for the cards. Come over to my office. Um, so we sat and had coffee. And when you're in the Arab world and you get coffee, you know you're in. You know, So there we were drinking delicious, strong coffee, waiting for the darkness to fall completely and the bombs to drop. And uh, he said, you know, he said, Mr. Mel, he said, you know, it's the children who just don't understand this bombing. He said, the children, they work hard in school and they listen to their teachers and they're listening to their, to their um, uh, parents and they don't understand why they're being bombed and why these sanctions, some of their friends are dying. They just don't understand. And I said, I, I don't understand it either. So he blessed me, and I went um, uh, out the door and hailed a taxi. There were still taxis running, and uh, go banging back to the hotel near the Tigris River. And uh, the taxis were so banged up, there was the sanctions. There was no spare parts and just the spring sort of poking up in your, <laughs> in your seat. And uh, I go banging back, and I suddenly realized that I had gotten what I needed from the Lord, I had gotten it from that priest who had showed me his kindness, who had showed me his welcome, and showed me his trust. So I hope that you will open your hearts, and you too will trust and find a way to build some peace. Thank you for the work that you're doing here with the refugees. Uh, we heard about it in the New York Times. You made the front page of the Times, and I think it was on the BBC. I think I heard the BBC about Lancaster. So keep up the good work. Thank you for inviting us to the art gallery. Please come and visit. Let us close with a prayer. Our loving God in heaven, in this wonderful world you've given us, there's so much suffering, so much pain, so much trouble. It's easy for us to retreat into our little safe cocoons and ignore it. Help us to reach out outside of our little safety zone and find a way to respond and find a way to show your peace to the world. In thy name we pray. Amen.